Hi, I'm Sam Baum, a security educator, and this is InfoSec Decoded, a twice-weekly podcast of security news and commentary. Our stories may be outrageous, important, or absurd, but always entertaining. I'm joined by Elizabeth Biddlecombe, consultant and educator, Caitlin Handelman, a security engineer, Irvin Lemus, consultant and trainer, and Alan Wennerson, also a college instructor. All right, so it looks like we're starting off with me. And this one I thought was pretty entertaining, a new machine learning theory. Uh, because the point is this guy uh, in Hong Kong gave his uh, machine learning computer a bunch of measurements of the orbits of planets, but not all the planets, the inner planets. And then he had it try to deduce where the outer planets were from that. And the point is he did it without feeding them information about the laws of gravity. And they were able to learn and figure out where the outer planets were. So he said, this raises the whole concept of what the meaning of science is. Now, when I learned science, you learn something like F equals MA, and then you say, we understand this. And the, uh, that's what I thought science was. But he says, why should that be what science is? Why should it come down to a single equation that a human can understand? If the model can predict other observations, that's science. You don't really need this intermediate step of an equation that a human can understand. And uh, he's kind of got a point. Well, here's, here's the thing that I would, I would object to. So the planet, the distance from the planet, the distance of the planets to the sun is very orderly. Like there's a, there's a pattern. I forget exactly what the pattern is, but there's a pattern where every so often you'll, you'll expect to find a planet. And so, of course, you know, if you feed it like here's a planet here and here's a planet here, uh, you know, it's going to figure out that, well, what about a planet, you know, where Jupiter should be or where Saturn is, you know, that that kind of makes sense. It's just, uh, in fact, um, people have been predicting, um, you know, where these planets should be long before we had a good understanding of gravity. Yep. So, you know, I don't I don't really see this as being that groundbreaking. Well, no, but I mean, this is all science ever has been, is you measure something and you find a pattern, then you extend that pattern. And, um, but the point is here, you do it all with machine learning. So if you did it that way, you might find new things that humans don't fit easily into their simple minds. I mean, I hope so. Um, yeah, anyway, I thought it was cute. All right, so then we got Liz. Oh yes, Zuckerberg's gonna inflict pain. Yeah, so this one was was pretty good, and I don't know if you are deliberately not showing the articles on the screen. But yeah, yeah, as we, go through I, them, we but... talked about this. I think there's no need to share them, really. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. So um, I uh, I thought this was pretty good um, because uh, it just sort of really kind of exposes the level of uh game of thrones uh <laughs> that that occurs at, at the not just lower levels of the industry but the higher levels too uh so um facebook really doesn't want uh anyone doing anything that's going to interfere with their uh tracking and data harvesting on uh internet users and they're really displeased with the fact that uh uh, Apple is introducing um, increased uh, privacy controls uh, and alerts to their system. So um, 
because Facebook is is trying to say that uh, that uh, that that Apple's not really doing this to protect users; that they're really just doing it to increase profit. Which I mean, you know, okay, <laughs> maybe they're not also also not mutually exclusive. <laughs> yeah, well, because consumers actually. I remember when Bill Gates said, yeah. uh, putting the browser in Windows 98 to take cut off the oxygen supply to Netscape. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. That's a great example. Uh, uh, great example, because um, it's very much like that scenario. So uh, it's going to be interesting to see um, how this continues to unfold. Uh, and uh, you know what? What uh, what consumers have to say about it? Yeah, well, I'm not so. even sure this is a bad thing. This is the old uh, Adam Smith model. Companies are just supposed to compete like savage beasts, tearing each other apart, and that will create the perfect utopia of capitalism. That's the whole theory. Yeah, theoretically, we'll see. I uh, I mean I. I like uh, alerts and uh, the option to opt out of, of browser tracking whenever possible. So, I mean, and I, I think that, uh, I think a lot of other users like to have more granular controls and alerts to know when they're being uh, tracked through their browser use, so. Well, I, I think, don't think uh, so. I think 95% of users have no idea what it means and just go with the defaults which is what the whole issue is. I mean, Apple and Microsoft well, changed the default to block all the trackers just to kill Facebook and Twitter. <laughs> that's true, that's true. Um, but I do think that it there is increasing awareness of it um, amongst the users. And I think that that's gonna continue to grow over time because people are starting to catch on to the fact that they're being tracked. The problem is, is that there are no, um, you know, they don't know what to do about it. They know kind of, they kind of have this vague notion that these things are happening and it's maybe not so great, but they just don't know what to do about it. So, I mean, I think that Apple made a step in the right direction with the alerts and the more granular privacy controls, but, uh, you know, companies like Facebook and Twitter are going to be really upset about that because they are data companies. Ditto, ditto Google. Um, if they were, if all these companies were cut off uh, from their um, consumer data supply tomorrow, it would it would cause major problems uh, for them. Yeah, you know, I'm not sure I'm really on board with this. I mean, I heard ads for VPNs and they say, these companies are making money off your data. Deny them your data by using our VPN. And I'm like, what's the point of that? I mean, Google tracks me every time I buy anything or even click on a link, I see nothing but ads for that for the next week. But how does that hurt me? I mean they're making money off me well they need some money why do i care <laughs> a lot of that's the part Maybe i never don't quite, care. well i know but i think why would a normal person care i mean if they're really just targeting ads then that's really not a problem in fact i used to constantly see ads for horrible things i don't want to buy now i mostly see ads about information mm -hmm. security training courses and stuff i'm interested in i'm not i'm not being harmed by this as far as i can tell well I think some people, myself included, have a, an issue with the way that this data is collected and amalgamated over time and how it might be used because the issue is less that they're collecting it and more with what's going to 
going to happen to that data on down the line. Because yes, it might be innocuous that, you know, that it's in some list somewhere that I bought some RAM yesterday. But, uh, you know, uh, over time, the amount of data collected on consumers is, is vast and great. And as we've seen with some of the other stories, we report on that data is available for purchase to the highest bidder and it can be used to do things like impl implicate innocent people in criminal investigations, for example. Or to clear and so them. without any kind of, what's that? Or to clear them. It, it could be, it could be used to exonerate a person too. Yeah. Well, I was, so, I was thinking, I was just actually something we were talking about. Well, yeah, no, I was thinking oh, sorry, Cambridge Analytica, where, where the data was actually used to yeah. influence our election and our politics. Yeah. And so I, I think you're right, Sam. I think in terms of, you know, are we, are we going to use this data for, you know, targeted ads? What's the big deal? Well, actually, yeah. I mean, in a lot of ways, targeted ads are nice because you're not going to be bombarded with commercials for, you know, baby diapers, which right. you know, is just a waste of everyone's time and money. On the other hand, you know, these, this data does, you know, get sold and it does move around to people who use it for things that you might not be okay with. Um, yeah, that's why I think things like the GDPR are right, where you let them use the edge to target stuff, but you limit them to only use it for the purpose they collected it. Like when you do business with a company, you agree to letting them, like Gmail has the right to look at your mail to target edge and you agreed to that, but then they shouldn't be selling it to third parties right. for other purposes. That's why I think that's where I don't think you want to choke off the free internet, which is what killing ad tracking would do. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I think that's a discussion for, for another time, whether or not we want to kill, <laughs> you know, the, the free internet in favor of things like Wikipedia, because I mean, there have been successful models of things that are free or that are donation supported that, that turn out really good. And then there are issues with platforms like Facebook which of course are paid for, you know, through monetization, through the collection of data, which, you know, has some questionable side effects. Um, so maybe, maybe the internet would be better if we, you know, got rid of, got rid of the, the, you know, collection of data to make money, you know, model. Uh, but that, that's a whole debate. I don't think we could do that in this podcast. Yeah, I, th I think we can't get there. I think um, America is wedded to this concept of free market and capitalism, and it's not going to retreat from it in a hurry. Anyway, we've got no, but aiming for balance is good. <laughs> Makes for what? I said aiming for balance is good. Like you said, yeah. you know, sort of what the way that GDPR works is a good good goal to aim for. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, so the hope mission. Yes, hope. So this is gonna be a big week for Mars. Mm -hmm. uh, Mar you're just going to see Mars in the news all week. So later this week, before I start getting into the article, I just want to give a shout out to NASA, who is landing their Perseverance uh, uh, rover this week. Uh, so that'll be fun um, in, let's see, 15, I think on Wednesday, maybe. I'll have to look it up. But yeah, they're going to do a live stream and you can watch it, you know, go down onto the surface of Mars. and It'll be great. Or, or it'll be a fiery crash and it'll be also great. So either way, you're in for a good time. Um, Hopefully it'll be a success. And if it's not, that's also fun to watch. Um, but yeah, so, but before we get into that, uh, the United Arab Emirates uh, sent a probe to Mars and it has sent back its first picture. It's gonna go into orbit and take pictures. Um, and so I just wanna welcome the UAE uh, to the uh, International 
peaceful exploration of the uh, solar system. Um, congratulations, UAE, on your successful Hope uh, probe mission to Mars. Somebody else is there too, right? China or India? Yep, yep China's there too. Um, I, I forget the Chinese uh, probe name, but yeah, a lot of people are going to Mars and that's great. Um, international cooperation and in science is always a, a wonderful thing to see, so. And they're all doing it because this is the moment at which it's easiest to get to Mars, right? Right. So every two years, there's a um, there's a period of time where you can get this trajectory to Mars where you can use the least amount of fuel, essentially. So it's not like you can't go to Mars at any other time. The thing is, fuel is just such a uh, you know such a commodity in space that you have to really time your your home and uh, transfers uh, you know just right, and that happens once every two years, um, and so. Um, yeah, all the probes are now arriving and we, we did it people on not just, not just America, but the, the entire world. And it looks like the Emirates are not going to land. They're just going to orbit it, right? They're going to orbit and that's fine. I mean, especially cause they've never, this is their first interplanetary mission. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I just, just getting to another planet, I mean, is a huge accomplishment, uh, for anyone or any nation. So it's I'm the first time for the Chinese too, right? I, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, apparently our lander is going to do something dangerous and they think it might crash. Oh, yeah, it, it sometimes does. Um, you know, you just mess up once. Of, of course, there was that famous example with the lander that they forgot to convert feet to meters or something. And, you know, <laughs> you know it's, it's yeah. stuff like that just happens all the time. Uh, you know, space is just a series of unfortunate events. I remember last time they said... Uh, I, a couple of weeks ago, they had one about the ISS saying, oh, yeah, there's a leak. There's like three leaks, but these leaks are only half a millimeter. We don't worry until they get up to bigger than that. And I'm like, there's leaks. There's leaks all the time. It doesn't matter. I'm not sure I'd have that feeling if I was up there like you. <laughs> yeah, that, well, yeah, like I said, that's just sort of the attitude you have to have. Um, obviously, you know, the, when you're working with people in space, you know, safety is the most important thing and you double check and you double check and you triple check. Uh, I remember we were watching the docking of the recent um, SpaceX, you know, thing to um, the Dragon to uh, the International Space Station. They took like three hours to, you know, open the hatch because they had to check the pressures and make sure everything was fine, you know, and, and you know, you just have to double and triple check. Um, but yeah, no, space is dangerous. Uh, and especially when you are, you're doing things without people, you know, involved, you know, things can go wrong really easily. And you either have to be like, oh no, this is terrible or just embrace the fact that it's difficult. And every, every time there's a quote unquote failure that just means that there's an opportunity to learn something new. Yeah, there's that, all right. And, and so I thought this was amazing. San Francisco has been really living up to our image as the place that has absolutely no sense. So the school board, you know, recently made a big deal of renaming all the schools, but now they have another one. So they're trying to add a new member to some school board committee, and he's a gay man. And he brought him to a Zoom session to have like an interview to decide if they would let him in, and he never got to say a word. For two hours, he sits there waiting for them to ask him a question, and all they do is say, well, he's a gay man, but and that would be good because that's representation, but he's a white male, and we can't have any more of them because that's not representation. Can't we find a black gay man or something? And he... And then they finally decided not to take him and kicked him off without him ever saying a word because it's all about representing different groups and having the correct balance of the numbers of so many people Latino and so many people black and so many people gay. And you know, this is, uh, 
this is left-wing racism. I mean, and he's complaining, you know, they don't even see me as a human. They just see me as a representation of some number to meet a statistical quota. And uh, anyway, we have a lot of this nonsense out here. I mean, so here's the thing. Representation is really important, especially in public work, right? You, you can't have a bunch of, of white men running the school system, okay? You just, when you're dealing with, with such a diverse area, right? You just can't. Uh, but the way that you integrate is not through kind of forced, oh, well, you know, we're just going to look at somebody's, you know, race or ethnicity and just put them on based on that, because then you can get into a lot of trouble where you don't pick necessarily the, the most qualified person. And City College had to deal with that as well. Um, I remember they picked someone really bad as a, um, I, I, I don't know if it was the president or something, but, but they, they did a bad job, but they're mostly picked for, for diversity reasons. And, and you have to balance, you know, truth. And, and I always say like, hey, if you have a choice between, you know, like a white straight male, you know, president who, and someone who's equally qualified, who comes from a less privileged background, um, you should almost always go with the person with the less privileged background, not only because it means that they, you know, worked, you know, twice as hard to get where they are, uh, but also, you know, it's just more, you know, representative of the community and stuff like that. But you can't be like, well, we have this highly qualified person over here and someone who, you know, had a history of bankrupting institutions over here, but they're the right, you know, but they looked right for the job. You know, let's, you, know, you can't, you can't do that. You have to, you, you, you really want to encourage, you know, people from different backgrounds to just be the best they can be and encourage excellence and sort of have it naturally diversify rather than try to force it anyway. Well, it's a huge issue. And, but I mean, we're way over on one side here and a lot of the country is way over on the other side, but uh, San Francisco seems, this is, this is why I wish we had actual Republicans that made any sense because when the Democrats run your place 100%, they drive you over into a different kind of crazy town. You know, I, I, I don't, I, you, there, there's a big difference between you know, going a little too far, wanting to be racially diverse, you know, uh, ignoring, you know, personal, whether or not someone's like perfect for the job or not, versus, you know, Q QAnon conspiracy theorists becoming mainstream. I mean, that's the problem. The, the current Republican Party is too crazy to provide the necessary balance. Well, no, I mean, the, yes, I, I agree that, that the, you know, the left can go too far. Mm -hmm. But when the left go too far, you know, at least they're, they're in the right spot. They're in the right mindset, right? Oh, They're not oh, being malicious, you know? Oh, the left can go too far and they can go all the way to where they just take over the government and create social communist governments and crush the army right. and right, but, close the universities and make the professors go mill till the fields to let them learn how the common people live. You know, it hasn't happened too recently here, but they do that too. <laughs> Yeah, but, but at least, you know, they're, like I said, their heart is in the right place. You know, their means, maybe not so much, but you can be like, okay, yeah, okay. I agree, you know, racial diversity is important. I agree um, well, the, yeah. that, you know, we should, you know, we shouldn't, you know, have a rich autocracy, you know, <laughs> ruling over everyone. That's a great idea. Um, uh, but with the, with a lot of the, the right-wing extremism, it's like, yeah, you know, white supremacy, like, wait, no. No, no. <laughs> well, here's what I don't get about this article is that they have been having trouble getting anyone to volunteer for this position. Yeah. And then they talked about it for two hours with this guy without even asking him any questions uh, and then declined to allow him to be on the board. But it, there's nobody else that wants to do it. 
at least from what it says in the article. So now no, but no parent is going to be fulfilling that position. And to me, it doesn't make sense why you would rather not have anyone at all than this dad who actually wants to do it when they're having a hard time getting anyone to do it, period. Well, you know, this kind of reminds me of some colleges that bring in teachers and then pay them nothing and then kick them around and abuse them also, and then wonder why yeah. they can't get any good teachers. I wouldn't know anything about that. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah well, you know, anyway, um, so now we got a murderer looking, checking the source code of the DNA kit. Yeah, so I thought this was a pretty interesting article uh, for a number of reasons. Um, Essentially, uh, this guy is on trial for uh, murder, and um, there was a uh, there's a program called True Allele that analyzes um, uh, genetic evidence from from criminal cases, and uh, the defense wants a review wants to do a code review. Yep. Of the um, of the uh, tool that's being used. Now, I thought first off, this is an interesting um, defense tactic, uh, but second, it raises some some good questions. Um, in that, uh, in that, you know, there's been a battle over whether they're going to be allowed to review the source code or not. Um, there have been cases of other uh, forensic software that have. Um, affected criminal cases, a significant number of criminal cases before. So, um, I, you know, on one hand, I can, I, it seems sort of absurd. On the other hand, it makes a lot of sense um, in that you'd want to see if this is, uh, you know, if you'd want to see if there are any potential errors that, that could affect your case. Now, it's interesting because they got denied uh, the right to review the software and then uh, they're appealing that denial. And one of the figures that jumped out to me here was, uh, where is it in here? Um, one, of the, one of the things that jumped out to me was that uh, I believe their CEO um, said, uh, yeah, their co-founder, sorry, said that he, 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 he argued against allowing this because uh, it's it's so dense that it would take eight and a half years to review it at the rate of 10 lines an hour. And I'm just like, dude, <laughs> if you're doing your code review and you're only getting through 10 lines per hour, you're doing something wrong. Besides just automated code review tools and stuff. Yeah, and I'm, I'm just like, dude, that's that's a good thing to tell a judge who has no clue what a code review looks like. To, to strengthen your point. Well, I'm surprised they actually did find it, supposedly a secret function causing the FST other software to find too many people guilty. Yep, yep. And, when, uh, when I, that I, testing came out, they said this is 100% perfect, you can trust it, and that really doesn't seem to have worked out that way at all. Yeah, it really doesn't. And, and it's interesting, too, because this is another situation just like you mentioned with the data where it's it's something that can be used to both implicate innocent people and also exonerate innocent people who've been convicted of crime. So it's really a it's really a complex issue to look at. 
Yeah, you know, and really, I think code review is just part of it. This is the way it's always been. A forensic examiner is supposed to take the totality of the steps and the rival forensic examiner is supposed to independently examine it. And then they argue and often mm -hmm. over technical things that the court can't understand, but they base it on the credibility of the examiner. So yep. I, it seems like exposing the source code would be part of that. I agree. Yeah. Anyway, um, then we got, oh yeah, this trying to use uh, the cops trying to stay off of film. Right. Uh, so the cops have a new um, way of making sure that they're not being recorded. And that is through, of course, uh, using copyright filters. Uh, so what cops in Beverly Hills have been doing, uh, according to Vice um, Magazine or the Vice website, is that uh, they'll blare Beatles in the background, like, you know, yesterday or something. And uh, while they're being recorded, and of course, because of the copyright issues, you know, all the websites will just, you know, take it down and not have it, the audio being recorded. Um, and so, yeah, this is a problem that we have to deal with now. <laughs> um, I, I'm sure there are, there are going to be tools around it. Uh, there's already some tools from like NVIDIA, for example, that will take out background noise uh, from, from audio. Um, so if you have a, like a vacuum going in the background, you can have the AI audio filter take that out. And I'm pretty sure eventually we're going to have tools that will take out background music and, you know, stuff like that, that might be interfering with our ability to document cops behaving badly. Uh, but until that happens, the cops have a little bit of a defense. I should say the bad cops. Um, so if you're a good cop, and I use that term very loosely, um, uh, I don't know if there's such a thing as a purely good cop, but if, if you are not a crooked cop, let's just say, uh, then a, you know, having this video on all the time, being recorded is great for you because you can prove your innocence all the time, right? Uh, however, if you are not so great of a cop, um, if you do things that are a little crooked, maybe you, you don't like following the rules so much, uh, you don't like being recorded. Um, and so obviously what this tool does is it just allows crooked cops to remain crooked cops, uh, so. Yeah. Um, I, this was actually, this was one of the ones I was like debating on recording on Friday because it's so good. Uh, and I, I think that, and I, I had read, uh, several different stories too, where it's not just Beverly Hills cops. Like this seems to be something that's going along, going around like the, the cop message boards or whatever, however, however, uh, they interact, uh, because this is happening in a bunch of different places. So this is, this is the new tactic. But, um, one thing that sprung to mind when you were mentioning that, uh, NVIDIA software is that this software already does exist. However, it's not consumer available yet. Uh, my, my neighbor, my former neighbor who runs a recording studio was showing me the software that is so sensitive that when he's recording bands and musicians, if like say my dog barks while they're doing a take, he can use the software to just remove the dog bark from the track and you would never be able to tell uh, that anything had changed. And I mean, it's it's so sophisticated that it really blew my mind. And I've been around like audio, technical audio stuff for over 20 years now, because it's one of my own interests. And I, I had never really seen anything like this. It's industry standard now. 
Um, and while it's not consumer available yet, that's how it's been with everything else over the last 20 or 30 years. It starts off and it's just a studio product. And, you know, now you look at it, every, every musician, every other musician's got a home recording studio now. So the, these things will become available to the public, at which point they're going to have to come up with another underhanded technique to try and avoid exposure. <laughs> Yeah, you know, I'd like to see an administrative control. I'd like it to just be a law that the police are not allowed to hide from being filmed. Anyway. Yeah, you would think you would think that'd be a law. You would think they would get in trouble for that. Um, yes. But you know, it's it's there's there's a a certain amount of of you know brotherhood and sisterhood that that goes on when you're policing, and and they look out for each other. And and a lot of the times, you know, I understand it. The 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 cops have to deal with some pretty you know bad people. Um, and you know they're put in dangerous situations and and stuff like that. And I, I I get it, but at the same time, you're public servants. You know, come on. <laughs> yep. Well, I think that's the big issue now is trying to uh, deal with police brutality, and we're not too, seeming to get too far in dealing with it. I mean, but the thing is, the, the the police brutality is not so much a bug, but a feature of the system. And that's, that's what we need to really address. It's not, you know, it's, I always get a little upset when people say, you know, it's just a few bad apples. Well, no, it's, it's really a, a, a big bad system, not, not a few bad apples. And we need to, to really think about ways that we can reform policing itself uh, to, to, you know, be more uh, community friendly. Yes. Yeah, I think we need to. Anyways, this one I thought was funny from Hacker Fantastic. Uh, ant miners um, are these devices people buy and use to um, mine Bitcoin, and they turn out to be really badly made, like you would imagine. They have a default password, nobody ever changes, and they have a bunch of listening ports. So somebody decided to just brick all the ant miners so he can just connect to them and zero the firmware so they're bricked and set up a bot to find you can just find them on Shodan and do that. So you can just make the Bitcoin mining rate drop to zero. <laughs> And this is like, it reminds me when people took those uh, Wi-Fi pineapples to DEF CON and then people would just hack into them and replace them with like insults if you left the default password on them. But anyway, I don't know if these things are still useful, but I guess some people are still using them to mine Bitcoins. Anyway, so I thought that was kind of cute. It is cute. Yeah. And I'd like to understand this one better, yours, where the guy hacked in through the supply chain. I saw this. It's yeah, impossible. So, well, it did, it does and it doesn't. So I, the, the way that I understood it, essentially this uh, Romanian security researcher uh, managed to compromise um, through a supply chain attack. Essentially, he called, he called it uh, dependency confusion, where uh, he um managed to uh replace um code like uh code dependency packages on um as part of private projects with uh um public code packages now he didn't put anything malicious in there he was just testing this to see if it, it worked and essentially the way that it works was that 
the company software applies uh, automatic updates. So like essentially if you're running software with um, a certain dependency, say you're running, say you're running uh, something that's got uh, an, an older version of Python installed, but there's a newer version out there, then the um, software detects that you're not using the most up-to-date version and will automatically grab whatever the newest thing out there is. Now, um, what I was confused by, so essentially what he did in this case, and I was confused by this, um, <coughs> essentially what he did was made repos in GitHub with names that um, sounded very similar to uh, whatever the companies were using for their dependencies. Um, he uh, was essentially able to set up his own fake files with the same names and then the uh, software would update these. Now, I'm not sure entirely how that part works. The only thing that I can think of is that the modules, the corporate modules are set to um, search for those instead of install from a static repository. Um, yep. And I would guess that the reason for that is because um, usually when the when it whenever the dependency updates to the next version, uh, the name of the you know the 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 sub repo is going to change. Whatever that file name is is going to change. So they uh, probably have to set up the function so that, that it searches for it. Um, and then I'm guessing that's how it gets caught is when it's searching for the updated uh, dependency module. That's when you can slip in your counterfeit one by using one with the same name. Yeah, apparently they're making local ones. I think I finally am getting it. Companies have local repositories with non-public names. But if you make a public repository with the same name and a later version, it will be preferred. So that, that seems to be the fundamental flaw here. They have private proprietary code going through the same update process as updating their public code. Um, that may be it because it's, uh, he was saying that, uh, that they were internal package names. So yeah. that would make sense to me. Yeah, that's, yeah, it does seem like a really fundamental uh, flaw with this sort of distributed updating where you have local caches and you have public servers. Yeah, I think he's really caught on to a major defect in our whole supply chain system here. Mm -hmm. Yeah, especially considering how successful and uh, widespread his compromises were. He went and got a bunch of bug bounty money off of it, which is cool. Yeah, 130 grand. That's not, yeah. that's pretty nice. Well, I hope, of course, I wonder exactly what companies can do. I wonder if they can just change the settings of their updating modules to fix it. I wondered that. I also wondered if, uh, you know, they have to be more uh, diligent about, um, you know, for example, like claiming packages on um, stuff like NPM or uh, Homebrew or whatever, so that it's designated to be theirs instead of something that they can that someone else can use. I, I don't know. I mean, maybe this is one aspect of the process that should be that should trigger manual review every time. 
You know, this happened uh, to City College about five years ago for DNS. They, they had a um, server that had some kind of strange defect where there were one of our master servers was putting out an old version of a DNS record, which was correct, but there was a newer version on another server that would update it and make it incorrect. So for all the students for like weeks, the city college page would vanish for a day and then come back for a day and vanish for a day because these waves of updates through DNS would go through and uh, keep undoing and redoing the change. And uh, there's a lot of these distributed systems where you have local caches and versions flying around can lead to this madness. Yeah. 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 And it's a problem. I mean, it's oh, yeah. clearly a big problem. Yeah. So, and then we got the pseudo edit heap overflow. I think we've seen this before. Uh, so, the, well, if you're getting deja vu, it's because we're seeing a lot of, of pseudo bugs right. coming out. And so to make matters worse, there uh, is now a pseudo edit bug, a uh, heap overflow oh. bug uh, in pseudo edit. So for people that don't know, um, when you edit the pseudoers file, if you make a mistake, that can be pretty bad. So there's a special editor for uh, editing pseudo pseudoers that, I mean, I've never used it. <laughs> I always uh, risk it. Um, but it is there. If, if you're very concerned about not making any mistakes to the pseudoers file, you don't want, you want to make sure that you don't mess anything up too badly. So you can still get pseudo access. There's this pseudo edit, uh, program and, uh, there's a heap overflow, um, uh, vulnerability in it. Um, I'm not going to go into details and bore everyone, but yeah, I just wanted to uh, let everyone know that the saga continues with pseudo vulnerabilities. Or does it end up giving you privilege escalation? Uh, or code execution. So if you're running pseudo edit, you should already have, you know, elevated privileges, but you just can't, you know, do much with it except to edit okay. pseudoers. But of course with this, you can um, have it do much, much more, supposedly. I'd, all right. It's a heap overflow, so. Well, that's good. But, you know, I think it kind of shows that there's just bugs everywhere. And just uh, if you haven't found the bugs, probably just haven't had the right person looking for them. Yeah, you know, that's the most frustrating thing about pen testing is that I know there are bugs in the system. And I know there are bugs people haven't found. Um, the only issue, of course, is finding the bugs would just take so much time <laughs> uh, and effort that is just not, not worth it. Unless I want to spend a month, you know, going over a, you know, every single program, putting that one overflow and then writing next place. I, I can't do it. Yep. Yep. I've been, I've been auditing Android apps again, and I found a few with entertaining, bizarre, poor decisions that I haven't quite figured out how to exploit, but it sure looks like they did the wrong thing there. <laughs> you, yes. Yes. Uh, there's a lot of people developing Android apps that uh, go on Stack Overflow, they're new to programming, they do things that aren't necessarily the, the wisest thing to do. Yep. Um, and lots of fun to be had. Yep. And, and uh, Liz had one about farmers hacking their own tractors. Yeah, this is something that we've talked about before a little bit in the past, but uh, this is kind of interesting for a couple reasons because um, Number one, because there's uh, pirate software out there now that you can use to, uh, uh, in place of the, the uh, 
proprietary John Deere software. You can actually, there's actually like where's forums now for tractor software and you can, you can buy it off of like shady Eastern European dark websites, which I think is kind of awesome because there is, there are now all these like, like golden heartland of America farmers who are turning into total hackers. Uh, because of this and they're starting to see um, why it's important to have the right to repair and why uh, why fixing your own stuff um, which can be considered hacking uh, under you know uh, the under the broad uh, sanctions of the computer fraud and abuse act you know these guys are probably technically liable for prosecution or whatever but um, because it's becoming a, a much greater issue and and because um, you know, corn-fed American farmers uh, are a really good uh, cultural meme, and because they have the ear of uh, of congressmen um, uh, right now, uh, they're they're starting to be a bit of a shift in the way that we look at this stuff, and it comes down to these farmers who are unable to repair our tractors. So it's it's one of those sort of unlikely avenues where uh it's gonna turn out it's turning it's turning out to be to provoke some good thought towards uh you know maybe we shouldn't make it illegal for you to uh open up products that you own and modify them and repair them yourself um whether that's software or hardware products so i think that's pretty cool it's been going on my whole life starting with the phones Another thing I've heard, I don't own a Tesla, but from what I've heard, there's software updates to your Tesla that you have to pay yeah. for, give it new features. Yep. So you oh, can yeah. get your Tesla to like give it the features without paying for them, I guess. Although I haven't heard right. of people doing that. Right. Um, uh, like for example, they uh, throttle your how much you can charge your battery unless you pay for an upgrade. They and do? Then, yeah, and then if you pay, for, yeah, like it only charged till 70% or whatever, so which limits your range. And then if you pay terrible. the extra, yeah, if you pay the extra 10 grand or whatever, they'll unlock it and you can do it the whole way. So obviously, if somebody hacks that, that's begging for it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that's a pretty ridiculous way to make money, I would think, to sell some other product and then deliberately cripple it. Well, it's like in-app purchases, basically. Like yeah. you can get the you can get the software for uh, five dollars or whatever, but if you want to do other stuff with it, you got to pay more. Well, I've heard I've heard people say Teslas are wonderful, but I'm surprised they put up with that. Anyway, any more comments? Well, I'm going to stop the recording then.